0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award winning legend comics and coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. ha oh Broadcasting from the ever quarantine ziggurat at Omaha deep of the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 568 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast, where my co-host and I are happy to report that nothing has penetrated our virus force fields. Joe, what was that about? What? Force fields, yeah, everything's great. (laughs) Nerds, my name is Matt Baum.
1: And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. This week, we're hosting a special spotlight review on eight different B-list superhero first issues. These are solo books, babies, from across yeah, the comic time stream, because there are still no new comics.
0: Not right now. After that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll tell you all about what we're going to be reading next week, and finally, we check in with Stately Lord Fungus to see what British quarantine is like. I heard there's scones, and they are delicious. But before we start defending Spawn's honor for the first time ever on this show... How about some editorial madness while we discuss this week's non-corona related nerd news? Yeah, de- yeah, absolutely nothing to do with corona, yes. You found something good that has nothing to do with it, right? Right, no nerd news.
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> From the pencils down desk,
0: Marvel has suspended production. Oh, but not because of the coronavirus, right?
1: Um, well, Marvel Entertainment is immediately quote unquote pausing work on and the release of approximately one-third of its May and June comic book issues Oof. that was confirmed uh, to newsorama by a spokesperson from the company. Marvel's representative said that 15 to 20 percent of its solicited titles would be affected, as some of them are twice monthly in May and June. The decision to pause work on the affected titles is, quote, to help spread the amount of publishing product over the coming weeks and months. What does that mean?
0: Um, is that like so they can focus on stuff that they were getting out? Is it coming out digitally? Nothing new is shipping to to comic shops. Are they talking about trades? Like, what does this mean? I don't really know. Right? I honestly am not sure. It's not in the news either. People like if you looked at any of these news stories or that reported this, go to the comments. Everyone's like, what are we talking about? <laughs> like, are there trades coming? Are they like, what are you? Talking about
1: well, I know at least as far as DC is concerned, they're still putting out uh, things that they were already going to release, like to the book market, right? Which is why, like a lot of their young adult stuff, still coming out. Uh, they're also doing their digital first titles, which I guess is no surprise. Those were all go there; were those were always going straight to digital anyway.
0: Sure, I mean they were digital first in the in the mm. first place, but
1: but I don't know what I don't know what spread the amount of publishing product
0: means. Do you think Marvel's been kind of Weird about this whole thing and really quiet about it. I think, yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> I you think, know what I mean? Like DC, say what you will, and we'll talk about them in a minute. They've been making some missteps, and you know, trying to course correct or whatever. But Marvel seems to be in the background, sort of going, "Yeah, we're gonna do a little bit of this and a little bit of that." And no, that's not happening. And uh, don't worry it, about it. Almost it almost feels you know? like <laughs> they're
1: they're they're trying to follow somebody else's lead, right? Like let DC make a make a big move. Like we're going to still put out our digital comics and then, and then wait till see how people react.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know, man. I think Marvel has been weird and apparently there's no plan to start the presses, but their spokesperson did say as soon as more information is available, we'll outline our longer term plans. They have no plan. There's, there is no plan. The only concrete thing we know is that creators found
1: out last week that they would be paid for the work they've done up till now.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, good. They were employees. Yes, they should be paid. (laughs) Uh, It just seems like, I I mean, they said this because they had to say something, but they're not saying anything.
1: If you're going to have your freelancers uh, keep working, that's one thing. But if you're just going to make some of them stop so that that you have less stuff backed up
0: for when things
1: finally reopen... I just don't I mean get it. I guess, I guess that's kind of a good idea. Like the last thing any retailer wants is to suddenly have hundreds of Marvel of course issues
0: to deal with. Of course. And I get I get that there is no real plan right now and it's not even their fault. This is crazy. Nothing like this has ever happened to comics. They didn't stop shipping during World War II, you know. So this is nuts. And I get it, but at the same time maybe a little more clarity and a little more transparency would be better. It's weird,
1: but I mean, it's a situation like that and this where it's just like, unless you have something real to say, something concrete,
0: maybe an don't action say plan. Yeah,
1: it's just better if you keep your mouth shut. Exactly. As frustrating as it might be to hear nothing, sometimes uh, half a loaf is worse than no loaf at all, as Dave DeMarco it's true. says.
0: It's true. <laughs> From the DC makes good desk, DC and Jim Lee are planning to donate $250,000 plus to comic shops. Warner Media has announced DC is donating 250k to the Book Industry Charitable Foundation aimed at helping comic book stores and their employees. DC's Chief Creative Officer and Publisher Jim Lee is also going to be auctioning 60 original sketches of DC Comics with the proceeds donated to support Bink, as we're calling its efforts. Bink. These auctions have already started, uh, one of which ended recently, Nightwing, a Nightwing sketch that really was cool. Sold for $6,501, there's a Bizarro that is currently up to 3540 so... People are throwing money at this, and it is very cool. He's doing 60 total sketches. He's doing one a day for 60 days. There's an Asriel one that just ended on Monday, a Dr. Fate one that just ended on Tuesday. This is very sweet, and it is very cool. Let me ask you, is it enough?
1: I don't know. I mean, do they need to donate more than almost a...
0: Half a million dollars? I'm just saying, if you look at, like, what Marvel and DC have made in the movie market, and I'm including DC with a bunch of their stinkers, they have made so much money off these intellectual properties, and without the comic shops, you don't have that recognition. Is this enough? Or is it DC trying to save face after saying... Last week, we're going to print everything digitally. Screw you guys. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's I don't think two hundred and fifty thousand is a saving face
1: gesture. A saving face gesture is the richest man in the world going, "I'm going to donate a hundred
0: grand to this project. It's
1: like, I agree. No, come but on if now we look
0: and we say, I don't even know how many comic shops are in the United States right now. But let's say, for the sake of easy math, there's a hundred. Obviously, there's more than that. but Math is At hard. least a couple thousand, I think. Nice round number. So everybody gets two thousand five hundred bucks. What does that do? Keeps the lights on for a while. For I, I'm just saying. I think it could be more. I think uh, it could be more. I and mean, I think yeah, it I is. I DC. Get, of course,
1: everybody, every corporation can do more. But like. To give every to give every shop we don't know we don't know how the funds are going to be dispersed.
0: I'm not saying we it's also shameful.
1: we also don't know how much money Jim Lee's thing is going to end up making that's true either. That's true. If each and one I'm of these things pe- makes several thousand dollars and there are sixty of them, that might almost come close to doubling this donation.
0: That could be. I just wish the initial number was more. I wish Warner Brothers would recognize that we need this industry and they do need them. They absolutely do and well, throw a million bucks at them.
1: That's a million bucks You're out. greedy. You're greedy and you think you deserve a check for your time in the trenches. Are you
0: defending the corporate overlords <laughs> right now? Is that what you're doing? No, I just like <laughs> arguing with you. <laughs> because I'm playing Grant Morrison Superman. And I've got my jeans on and my black S t-shirt and I am fighting the corporations, all right? <laughs> I just think it should be more. I think it should be more and there's no excuse not to. A million dollars for Warner Brothers is a pittance. It's nothing. It's nothing. And there's no reason why they couldn't say we're going to give a million dollars to comic shops. And, hey, and call Marvel out. Call them out. And we challenge Marvel to do the same thing because they've got the money, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I also can't be
0: mad at them giving a quarter of a million dollars to charity. I'm not mad about it. I, I, think, I think what Jim Lee is doing is very cool, and he's actually putting his name behind it and doing work. I just think that dollar figure should have been four times as high.
1: You heard it here first, DC.
0: There you go. Fight the power. Up your butts, DC. That is your nerd news for the week. And I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while begging Jim Lee for an ambush bug sketch for free, of course, because we don't have any money. I mean, we, we provide the publicity, man. Yeah, that's our job. That's what we do. That's how we pay back, see? So hit us up on the THN forums, big news section, or any of our social media outlets and talk to us about these stories Or anything you think we missed.
1: It's spotlight review time in the Ziggurat, and this week, since there are, again, no new comics, Matt and I chose four each with the theme B list superhero number ones. We're talking
0: solo series. I'm gonna, I I will go as far as to say, I don't think anyone on this list even makes a B. I think there's a strong case to be made that the best we've got is one C-lister and the rest are deer or below.
1: <laughs> so. uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I can't really be mad You're about, about right. that evaluation. Before we get started, though, let's wet our whistles with a cocktail from the official THN bartender, Mr. Justin Fletcher, who put together the cocktail of the week. Justin, what are we sipping on this week?
2: Alright nerds, this week we're talking Kmart brand knockoff superheroes with a special emphasis on Spawn and Nightwatch. Um, considering the fact that all cocktails are kind of riffs on other cocktails, it took me a minute to try to figure this one out, because what I was my main goal was two things, A, uh, you know, find a cocktail that took everything the original stood for and then shit on it completely. And then two, I wanted to find a cocktail that came fairly quickly after its predecessor. Um, You know, we're talking eight months between Spawn and Nightwatch, I wanted something that came out fairly quickly. Um, So uh, I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I thought about it more, and it finally came to me uh, like a vision. Uh, The answer, my friends, is the Dirty Vodka Martini. The two-to-one vermouth-backed original first appeared in the late 1800s. Um, Was it Jerry Thomas who did it? Was it the Martinez bar? Truth be told, we're never gonna know. But what we do know is that by 1901, bars in New York City, they're whipping up a muddled olive version, which would later evolve to just olive juice. I think the martini, the gin martini, I think the Gibson, I think the Vespa, all wonderful, wonderful martinis. However, the dirty martini, the dirty vodka martini. Wow, how you just shit the bed. Uh, You know, yeah, it's easy to make. Yeah, it's two ingredients. Uh, Yeah, I'll make it for anybody, but I think it tastes like shit, personally, but that's just me, we'll continue on. Um, So let's talk about how we make it. Um, The first thing I suggest is that you buy the most top shelf vodka that you can find. Spend as much money as you possibly can because in the end what goes better with a tasteless base spirit than a salty brine that masks everything it touches. So just make sure you go all out on the vodka so you can definitely taste how good that is. So you're gonna go uh, two ounces of your insanely expensive vodka. You're gonna go one, uh, just a half ounce of your olive juice. You're gonna put that into a can. You're going to throw some ice in there. You're going to shake it really nice for about a minute. You're going to double strain it into a martini glass. You're going to take a couple little olives and put them on a skewer and drop them in there and enjoy the wonderful, the wonderful flavors of olive juice. Enjoy.
1: Now with drink in hand, let's get started reviewing eight classic,
0: in quotes, comic books. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, kick us off. My first book this week was Aztec, number one from D.C. Take yourself back to 1996, and a very young Grant Morrison and Mark Millar team up to write this wacky tale with really fantastic art from Stephen Harris and Keith Champagne. It's a little weird and kind of chunky. I love the art. It's bizarre, though. Yeah, and there's a really weird color palette, too, like lots of pinks and yellows and blues. It's like very 90s desert southwest almost. It's, yeah, it's like deep Mexican, like. I mean, I guess, but they also, they're in a city called Vanity City. Which really feels like it's supposed to be like maybe L.A. I don't know. No, I think it's like a weird gothic place. Like is it like a New York? More like a Gotham, maybe not as I, like gr- dark and gritty, but it definitely doesn't seedy. exist anymore. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. They really drop you in the story Aztec comes to Vanity City in search of his quote enemy that resurfaced recently but you don't learn much more about it in this issue yet. He has no money, no ID, but he does have a great supersuit that can function at higher vibrations. Oh, God bless you, Grant Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> and he can fly, too. Morrison plays with the tough guy 90s hero archetypes here, introducing a character right out of a Lee Field sketchbook. He's equal parts RoboCop and Judge Dredd, and his name is Blood Type. And he's complete with a fantastic one-liner where he's about to kill you. He goes, what's your Blood Type, creep? <laughs> <laughs> Aztec is kind of a fish out of water tale where their genetically engineered hero inserts himself as a doctor in a local hospital because apparently background checks were much laxer back in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, you know, pre 9 11. And when he's not doctoring, he's using his weaponized suit and compassion to try to both fight his sworn enemy and help people around him. Like he's a genuinely nice guy, he's naive. He's he is naive, yeah. and ev- he's living in the city for the first time in American city. He's like everyone is so awful here. They're they're sad and they're angry. <laughs> I yeah. just want to help everyone. I mean, his whole deal, and
1: I forgive me, I, I don't recall how much depth we get into, but Aztec's whole deal is that he was like raised by a secret society. Like he is not
0: from this world. No, and they touch on none of that. None of that is touched on in this first issue. There's a hint that there's something going on with him and he's not like everyone else around him. And they build on that later. This story is nuts in a wonderful Grant Morrison kind of way that only he can write, I admit, I love this series and after I read issue number 1, I read the entire series again because it's so goddamn good. I'm giving this a buy. It only went like 10, right? Yeah, there's only 10 issues. It's wonderful. Yeah, I love it. Uh, it's it's super freaking weird. It's it's
1: Like this is the same year that JLA by Grant Morrison came out. And uh Grant Morrison created this character sp- for a specific purpose. Which he later fulfills during Morrison's run on JLA Mm -hmm. And for the entire Issue I was remembering his final Appearance when you find out Like everything about The secret society and what he's been born To do and it's like man that is A genius idea and also It makes me feel really bad (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's also really cruel what he did yeah, it is to the really character cruel. too. I mean, like, I I suppose we can spoil it. At I this mean, point this, that, that's so not this cruel. comic.
1: That's not this comic. Give you
0: just trust us. Trust us. Read 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 Morrison's JLA. You won't regret it. It is a ride worth taking. Yeah, this Aztec run and the Morrison JLA stuff. Absolutely a ride worth. taking. This is a Do lot it. more like Vertigo feeling to me. You know, it's a lot Definitely. more weird. Definitely. Even the way that it's drawn is very like watchman sort of dave gibbons kind of like dark and he kind of glows whenever he's in the panel as like this out of like place good guy you you can see morrison working here and he was brilliant this is this is fantastic stuff and it really challenged the idea of what comics like you said we talked about last week the late 90s of what comics were and the state they were in i mentioned it again in one of my reviews today yeah this is a this is a buy it. This
1: is a buy it for sure. Absolutely check it out. Uh, my first review is Starman number one. Not that one. From DC Comics 1988. I forgot how fucking weird it is. is. Recently revived by Scott Snyder in the pages of Justice League, Will Payton, who is the fifth Starman, <laughs> got his start in this issue. This is a fairly standard first issue written by the legendary Roger Stern. It's full of classic tropes. You've got your freak accident that bestows amazing and strange powers. You've got an unlikely hero. You've got a clandestine organization. They show his butt. You've got a pair of siblings with an uncomfortable relationship <laughs> that involves a sister constantly yep. walking in on her brother while he is in various states of undress. And they straight up. They show his, his whole ass, <laughs> which I was really shocked to
0: see. Cause this was like, this was regular normal ass DC 1988. At first when the sister shows up, I was like, Oh yeah, that's his girlfriend. And I was like, Oh no, wait a minute. Oh God. Right. Weird. (laughs)
1: Like she walks, she walks right in to the bathroom while he is buck ass naked in the shower. Yeah. It's like, what the hell? (laughs) I never really knew anything about Will Payton outside of his later appearances in Jack Knight's series. I thought it was pretty fun to see where he came from. I've always been a fan of the late great Tom Lyle, who just passed away this year, or maybe it was last year, twenty nineteen. And he does a really solid job on the art here. He would go on to do uh, things like uh, a long run on Spider-Man. He would uh, help revive the Archie, the Archie superhero characters in the Impact line. Uh, he drew the Comet by Mark Wade. It's great stuff. Yeah. Starman number one. It was a fun origin issue for a character that I think I'd like to keep reading about. Like like you said with Aztec, I read this and I was like, I'd like to read the rest of this, though it lasted a long time, like forty five issues.
0: Yeah, something like that. I think it really did. And it, I don't know. It, this is Will Payton is a weird character, and I'm not really sure where they were trying to go with him here, other than to separate him. From the Golden Age Starman line, just be like, no, Starman is something totally different now.
1: Well, Starman had been Starman had been something totally different for a long time prior right. to this. Uh, there were there were two different Starmen in the '70s. Both of them were aliens, totally disconnected
0: from the Golden Age character. Uh, and this is Stern trying to like reignite it, but with like a whole new character. And the art is good. The art is actually really good. It, it's a lot. Uh, who is it? Tom Lyle. Tom Lyle. Yeah. The art is great. Like I, and I, I liked the. there is some really dated storytelling stuff. That's kind of weird. It's 1988. We gotta kind of loosen up on some of that. He wakes up on the, you know, on the table, and they thought he was a dead guy. And he jumps out a window, and he's like, "I'm flying. Maybe I'm on drugs. I can't tell." I <laughs> land on top of this truck. <laughs> the trucker's getting out. Maybe he gave me the drugs. Like you're really making some leaps in well, logic. Well, you know, he,
1: w- <laughs> he wakes up in a morgue after losing a month of his life. You know, he's confused. Uh, I just, like, I love his bizarre power set, like, a yeah. slightly off-color tan. <laughs> you can churn Super your hair weird. a slightly different shade of brown. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> uh, so he's got, like, mild shape-shifting powers, and also he's uh, he's strong enough to lift a crane. Uh, yeah, I... I think it's fun. He's a fun character. I liked the fact that he was ju- he was not just like gung-ho, I'm a superhero. He's like, no, right. something very weird happened to me. I just
0: happened to be there to save that guy. Yeah, I like it. I'm giving it a buy-it. I had fun. I will give Starman a buy-it just on how quirky and sort of fun it is, but you really gotta wonder like what the meetings were like when... Roger Stern showed up with the idea or maybe him and Lyle showed up with the idea of this character and they were like okay so he can glow he's super strong (laughs) and he sort of changes shape his face is kind of like Silly Putty (laughs) if you press
1: his face onto a newspaper strip you'll see Charlie Brown in his cheeks And DC went, perfect. Uh, There's a long essay in the back by Roger Stern about the legacy of Starman that I did not have time to read. I'm definitely going to read it because I think they created this character with that legacy in mind. And I know that Jack's brother, David, uh, shows up later in the series. Yes. Because he's mad that uh, somebody else
0: is stealing his dad's gig. Right. Matt, let's keep it in the 80s, shall we? Let's stay in the 80s. I am talking about El Diablo, number one from D.C., 1989. Can you believe that as far back as 1989, D.C. was trying to push a liberal agenda down our throat by introducing Hispanic characters as heroes? Hold on, hold on. Can you believe it, Joe Patrick? (laughs) This is the second of two Gerard Jones books I will be reviewing. But in my defense, Gerard Jones wrote a shitload of DC comics back in the late 80s and early 90s before he became a convicted sex criminal owning child pornography. By the way, still in prison. We looked that up. (laughs) Jones is really going for it here. He's genuinely calling out Latino racism, but he definitely feels like a white, Tourist writing about it. Yeah. Dia De Los Muertos is mentioned as a major holiday, which back in 1989 was evidence of doing some homework, but it's never been that big here in the States. I will say he also calls out things like Nancy Reagan's Just Say No campaign. So yeah, he was writing this cool idea of a hero for a group of people that didn't necessarily have any representation. El Diablo started as a golden age western hero and would go on to become DC's knockoff ghostwriter later on in the early 2000s.
1: Star of Suicide Squad the movie.
0: Yes. The real star here though is Mike Parabek's art. Parabek died in 1996 of type 1 diabetes and we lost a real talent. You can see that this guy was going to be a master in the same style of artists like Dave Gibbons and early Frank Miller. His art is amazing and pretty wasted on jones script honestly (laughs) i like this version of el diablo rafael sandoval city councilman by day and vigilante by night he's definitely a latino daredevil knockoff written by a convicted child pornographer but i would like to see someone take this character back i'm giving it a skim it the art was really good the story was fine it spent a little too much time making El Diablo look like somebody's mom or school principal. He's yeah. like, "No, you drug dealers do not!" You know. <laughs> uh,
1: I thought but that this bad. issue was boring. It was boring. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> it was a look. I, I'm not taking away from the social agenda. I'm I'm here for it. I appreciate the effort. It is a double sized issue. And it took me about 128 years to finish. <laughs> it is such a boring read. Uh, it is not yeah. at all exciting. Even when there's action in the few instances that, where there is action. I do, despite the L of it, I really do love El Diablo's costume with the bolo tie. Oh, he's great.
0: I love he's it. He's got a
1: bolo tie and cowboy boots.
0: It's awesome. Yeah, man. Uh, he looks like a badass. Like I would not mess with that. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Uh, it's,
1: it has promise. The character has promise. I can sort of see how or why he didn't like last too much longer past this, because right. if I had read this back in 1988 or 89, I don't think I would have picked up number two because it no. didn't hook me. Now, I cannot say enough about, about Mike Parobeck. Uh, if you if you look later in his career, especially in the early 90s, early to mid 90s, his style evolved into a, a very classic. Uh, wbdc animated kind of style in fact he was the go-to guy to do all of those uh uh batman adventures comics and superman adventures uh comic adaptations he drew the 1992 revival of the justice society which is one of my favorite comics of all time (laughs) i i remember exactly where i was when i bought it i bought it at a grocery store in arkansas of all places while I was visiting my grandparents in the summertime, and I read it until it literally disintegrated in my hands. I don't think I've ever read that it's one. It's awesome. I, I don't remember the story at all, but I just knew that there was something special about those characters. Fair enough. And it's because of the way Perroback drew them. And he was an enormous talent, and he only he was only 30 when he died. Um, yeah, but this is some early work from him. It was very impressive. I'm also giving it a skimmit, based purely on the art, because I thought the story was a real drag.
0: It it, it got really obvious. Wait, your character is El Diablo, and he is this like politician instead of a lawyer by day and a vigilante by night. That this was a complete Daredevil, yeah. sort of ripoff. Yeah, yeah. But written, you know, Hispanic Daredevil, and you know that's how they pitched it. And it just have they just made him a badass? Have they literally just made him a badass? Right. I feel like this book would have been twice as good.
1: And and honestly, like <laughs> you know? in the action scenes when he was acting as El Diablo, he was kind of ineffectual. Yeah, He was definitely. scared when he got a gun pulled on him. He almost got his ass
0: beat. There's a really good setup where like a woman comes to like a shutdown cafe to meet El Diablo. Yeah, that part was great. And he's like and he's like, I will help you. Duh, duh, duh. Yes, the I like, am yeah, Right, He's for real. Like, he's scary. Yeah. And then he goes out and he literally handles problems like your mom would if she caught a kid, you know, bullying you. Like, that is enough, mister. Right. <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> Come on. All right. We're skipping ahead a few years for me.
1: My next review is of Nightwatch, number one from Marvel, 1994. About two years after the fact... Marvel decided that they needed a spawn ripoff of their very own. Kevin Trench was a mild mannered doctor who witnessed the death of his own future self, who was wearing a super powered suit of mysterious origins. What else could he do but take the suit and flee to a deserted island in an attempt to cheat fate? Sure. Here's the first thing you do when you see your own dead self wearing a suit don't take the suit. <laughs> ten years later trench is back in new york fighting crime as Nightwatch, even though he totally failed to master the suit's abilities during the previous decade the entire issue he's like oh no
0: my cape has a mind of its own oh no my cape is taking me out over open water oh no yeah like they go out of their way to show like he can't do this no he cannot use this like he accidentally (laughs) fought crime right it's like Imagine if, like, the story was, I'm going to join the circus and be a unicyclist, and you could not ride the unicycle. <laughs> <You
1: know? laughs> Terry Kavanaugh's script is the most 90s-ass thing I have read in a long time. Oh, yeah. Full of tough-talking, soul-patched villains with bullet bandoliers and excessive pouches and banded metal shoulder guns. Oh, yeah. When, <laughs> when guns that you hold in your hand just won't do. Kavanaugh also fails to give the reader the same amount of information about Nightwatch's past that a quick browse of Wikipedia was able to provide me today before I wrote this review. I was like, this is a number one, right? Like, I I read it, and I'm like, he's literally not explained anything about where this character came from, what he's been doing for the past 10 years, except, oops, I saw my own dead body. Despite how cheesy it can be, I still love the art of 90s superstar Ron Lim. (laughs) So
0: I at least thought it looked great. It's cheesy. It's cheesy. I just love his style. here's the thing. I love Ron Lim as well. I don't think this is good Ron Lim. Uh, I feel like this looks like Ron Lim drew this book in 24 hours. To be fair. Which is like, oh, shit, I'm drawing Nightwatch? Okay. All right. Not a problem. uh, To
1: to be perfectly (laughs) fair, uh, Ron Lim is credited with breakdowns. And okay. the finishes uh, were by Al Milgram, who I also like. Al Milgram is a legendary comic artist.
0: I think the mixture of two probably, I, it just, this isn't. It's this it's not,
1: not uh, it's not greater than this. <laughs> it
0: doesn't look good. It's not greater than the, some of its parts or anything. Uh,
1: but even though I did enjoy the art, it wasn't enough. Nightwatch is a completely forgettable character. This debut issue was equally forgettable. Uh, I actually forgot until I looked at Wikipedia today that Charles Soule brought him back for a story arc during his uh, She-Hulk run. Really? Yes, briefly. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm giving Nightwatch number one a leave it. They should have just left him
0: where they found him in the 90s. I, I can't believe they didn't get sued for this because, I mean, it's literally Spawn's cape, Batman's, you know, like, signature flying shadow, aztecs armor like it's the like, oh you kids like everything that's popular at image and dc right now well we've got all of that in <laughs> one character you know <laughs> and it's just it is shocking what how badly they ripped this shit off it's terrible and there is no script there, there is no script no, no. i almost feel like an editor came up with this idea Handed it to these guys. They even went as far as to make the character black, just like Al Simmons from Spawn. Yeah, I mean, like, they weren't even trying. Yeah, <laughs> to, they weren't, to, yeah, no, like, they weren't trying to hide it. the fact. Yeah. My God, this is such a leave it. So last week, we mentioned Fantastic Force being one of the worst 90s comics ever made. This is right there. This is complete 90s schlock. When it when it comes it, to
1: which, 90s excess, Nightwatch is definitely one of the key offenders (laughs) truly speaking of beloved marvel comics icons matt please do me the honor of talking about
0: my favorite new warrior joe patrick i am here to tell you all about speedball number one from marvel 1968 pardon (laughs) 1988 the same year that convicted child porn enthusiast Gerard Jones was fighting Latino racism in the pages of El Diablo, Steve Ditko and Roger Stern were writing what seems like the time-displaced should have happened in the late 60s speedball. I cannot tell you how bizarre this comic book is. It is truly, if I knew nothing about this comic and was shown any random page, and then asked, what year do you think this comic was created, Matt? I would say 68, 69, I don't know. It could be, it's just weird. The art is bizarre. The art is so weird, it is like the I shall destroy all the civilized worlds Fletcher Hanks kind of bizarre. It almost looks like outsider art <laughs> at some point. From what I understand, Spider-Man co-creator Steve Ditko Drew the book, and Jackson Geis supplied the finishes. And wow, does it come like, off as dated Butch Geis, and f- I, fucking weird. I, I don't
1: understand why. Butch Geis, even in 1988, was already a
0: known talent. Right, a very talented artist. Why is he this inking is, Speedball? It's <laughs> just like Steve Ditko was going for something and it's like if you look at the facial expressions oh. and the way people move there's a scene where speedball sees his parents being like taken out back in the backyard by some unnamed bad yeah. guy who did something bad in the city at one point right you know and he's like oh no they've got a gun on him and he literally for no reason Bounces face first off a rock and then butt first off another rock. <laughs> well, he can't control his abilities. I mean, I get it, but it's the way that they drew it, just it was so fucking weird. Even the script is totally bizarre. There are characters in the foreground narrating out loud, while another character on the same panel in the background in a plane, it's Sharing a thought bubble is to to be clear they are in the same scene. They are not in the same location. No, (laughs) not at all. It's the script reads like a cocaine-fueled madness. I have never seen so many damn thought bubbles. There are thought bubbles from three different damn characters in one panel three times. It is
1: insane. My favorite thing, my favorite thing about the thought bubbles is there is a panel where Robbie Baldwin, the titular speedball, is thinking to himself about something. And you know how, uh, like the... Um, what do you call that? The the little curvy arrow thing in, in word balloons. But right. with thought bubbles, it's like three smaller bubbles
3: yeah, like yeah, yeah. leading
1: up to the big bubble. You've got the three bubbles going up to the bubble. And then you've got another three bubbles on the other side going back down to his head. <laughs> right. Why? <laughs> what is, <happening? laughs> what is <it>
0: going on? <laughs> Not to mention the fact that Robbie, the book opens with Robbie terrified. Absolutely terrified yes. for no reason and no explanation yes, whatsoever. He's, yes, they explain it. All we know when we initially meet him is that he's scared as shit that his balls might pop out. That's <laughs> <laughs> not how I would phrase it. <laughs> it's, it's literally, he's like walking around. People are like, hey, Robbie, come hang out. And he's like, I can't. If they find out my secret. Oh, what if I lose control? Oh, and like, we don't know anything about the character yet. Like, what is going on? At the end of the first
1: uh, story. Because, thank God, there are two stories in this issue. Oh, my God. Uh, Robbie has saved the day accidentally as speedball. And he's got a ton of witnesses and the news is there. And he thinks to himself, oh, man, if my secret gets out, I'll have it as bad as Michael Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the last line of the story.
0: Oh, Robbie, if only you knew. (laughs) I I don't. This is a must-read. It really is. Well, this <laughs> like, sounds like you're giving it a buy-it. Part of me wants to because it's so fucking weird. It's it, It's not an artifact of the 80s. I don't know what this is. I, it is one of the worst comics I've ever read in my life, but it is literally must-read shit because I cannot believe, I cannot believe they did not shut this down after issue one. I can't believe it saw print. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting to leave it, but this is one of the worst comic books I've ever and read. The trajectory of the character of
1: Speedball is so bizarre, absolutely he, bizarre. He, oh my god, his first appearance was in an is an <clears throat> his first appearance was in an Amazing Spider-Man annual that tied into the Evolutionary War. His powers have nothing to do with the High Evolutionary. Uh, he's a mutant, right? No, his powers they explain it in this in this issue in the backup story he's oh, gets bombarded right, with extra right. dimensional energy. Uh, yeah. He has this unlikely 10 issue series that is legit some of the most terrible comics of all time. But it's it's like so bad that you've got to read then, it. But then but then you just have to like, see it. <laughs> like a year after the series ends Fabian Nicieza and Mark Bagley are like, yeah, Speedball is actually awesome, and they're right. <laughs> he is awesome. No, no, he no, is. He not. is. You don't know. No. You haven't read it. You haven't read the New I Warriors. Won't
0: do it. I won't do it.
1: <laughs> Speedball is awesome. Don't judge this series. Don't judge him based on this this comic book. Oh my God. This is a leave it for me. I can't.
0: I honestly, I don't under. I I, I just. Can't. I don't know. I almost need a new rating system because I- Burn I need, it. Seriously, I need you to read this. <laughs> I need you, yeah. the listener, to read this and, and tell me if I'm insane because I felt like I lost my fucking mind all right, all right. about this comic book.
1: <laughs> Moving on to 1994, we're going to talk a little bit about Gunfire, number one from DC. I don't even know
0: where to start with
1: Gunfire. Oh, no, all right, <laughs> come on. <clears throat> Now, Gunfire has always been a bit of a joke to me. He's an extreme character with a generic oh, yeah. armored suit that can turn anything into a gun, a set of car keys, <laughs> a potato, his own ass, whatever.
0: <laughs> it does, like, could he pick up a little kid and make the kid shoot stuff? Out uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Like, like, really.
1: But I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised when I read this comic. He was... Co-created by Wolverine co-creator Len Wein and artist Steve Irwin. Not that Steve Irwin. Gunfire <laughs> was one of the few characters that spun out of the Bloodlines event with even a bare minimum of success. Wein injects a surprising amount of depth into the character. He's a man named Andrew Van Horn. He's conflicted by his strange abilities and he's trying hard to protect his late father's legacy. I really enjoyed Irwin's art, and it made me wonder whatever happened to him. I know that these guys, or at least Irwin, came from the deathstroke ongoing at the time. The action flows well. His panel layouts are really inventive. Don't get me wrong, it is still very silly. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> oh, I, yeah. Like, I have to admit, <laughs> Gunfire number one was a lot better than I expected. So I'm giving it a skim
0: it. I don't know. I don't know what to do with this one. I will say the art is good. The premise is ridiculous. The premise is so bad that I couldn't get past it. It's just so dumb. And and like, no matter, it is well-written. It really is. Like, for what they were dealing with, I feel like they really gave it all they got and did the best they possibly could with this stupid, stupid, stupid character honestly
1: (laughs) the idea that like a character can it's sort of like a reverse gambit right Right. gambit charges up a thing throws it and explodes gunfire holds a thing charges it up and fires shoot shit out of it 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 (laughs) fires molecules (laughs) off of it it, like bullets right i mean look it's i've read sillier concepts
0: that's sure. I, I agree. It just I don't know. I just couldn't get past it. And I found myself chuckling at certain times when he's using his powers and like the stuff. Not only does he just like he shoots molecules out of stuff or whatever, when he does it, it sounds like a gun. It goes, blam, 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 bam. bam, bam. Right. <laughs> like, What is happening? There, <laughs> there is a scene where he
1: picked uh, he picks up uh, one of those kind of it's like an architect's uh, right angle ruler and holds it like an uzi (laughs) so he's like gripping one end and holding the other one like a barrel what is that called what am i trying Uh, to
0: say a t-square
1: well a A t-square is is no but uh, yeah it's like a it's like a metal ruler that's just a right yeah i know what you're talking about yeah um yeah and it is the
0: coloring it's is so dated ridiculous the coloring is, is insane it's like you can't just do something shaded. It's got to be like neon purple to show the shade. And the lasers are bright, hot pink. And like the reflection of that radar is neon green. <laughs> like, it, it takes away from the art a little bit. I'm going to give it a skim it as well. They were
1: enjoying their new coloring technology.
0: <laughs> yeah, they were. <laughs> I just, this character is so fucking stupid. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. What do you say? You got one more in you? I got one more in me, and it is a doozy. Ladies and gentlemen, two years before gunfire started shooting bullets out of everything, Guy Gardner got his own series. I'm reviewing Guy Gardner, number one from D.C. in 1992. I don't know where to start (laughs) here. All
1: right. Let me give you a little bit of of background. I had no idea. Coming into this, I had no
0: idea clue what was going on.
1: Uh So prior to this issue, Guy Gardner had been stripped of his rank of Green Lantern. Right. Or was it because of Hal Jordan? No, 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 because Hal Jordan's in this comic. This is before the whole Parallax thing. So yeah, Guy Gardner got kicked out of the Green Lantern Corps, and he went on a quest to get a new weapon so he can continue being a superhero, and it was called Guy Gardner Reborn, and it was a four-issue series that preceded this. And at the end of it, he uh, gains Sinestro's yellow power ring.
0: So we open with that. And that's where we are. And I had no clue what was going on. The only thing that I could take away with this was that now I know why I was not reading DC Comics in 1992. (laughs) Let's just start with the art. It is awful. Penciler Joe Stanton is going for some kind of humorous sort of friend Hembeck. Or Mad Magazine kind of wacky style. It's like super exaggerated.
1: It's awful. It's just now, awful. Now, hold on. It's Joe Statton also drew the new Guardians last week, which I believe you praised. Yes, because he was doing a totally different style and, there. Uh, and it was good. It was
0: still super aga- exaggerated and cartoony. This was blocky and exaggerated in all it, the wrong It was a little ways. bit over the top, yeah. It was so bad. Guy Gardner's design is terrible. He is wearing a Michael Jackson leather jacket with a stylized G on the chest that sort of just looks like it could be a box with a line running halfway through it. Yep. Like, I didn't even realize that it was a G. There's a, there's a part of the comic where he projects his Sinestro ring and makes the symbol in the air. And I looked at it, and it, I looked at it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, what is that? <laughs> like, is it a box? Like, what am I looking at here? Yeah. He's also wearing jeans. And cowboy boots. The cowboy boots also have the G logo on them. Writer and convicted child sex offender Gerard Jones depicts Guy, who, like Joe said, has a Sinestro ring, and now we know why, as a shit-kicking, take-no-shit macho man who doesn't have time for your crybaby liberal bullshit or your self-righteous superhero bullshit. One could argue that maybe the Sinestro ring is bringing out the worst in Guy, but I don't think nope. that's where this story went or what it was going for.
1: You are giving <laughs> him
0: way too much credit. <laughs> Everyone in this book speaks in lunatic extremes. Extras can't just yell something like, yeah, go get him, Guy. They're like, Guy Gardner, I want to have your baby! (laughs) After he levels a New York City block. And it's not just Guy either. Jones writes the entire Justice League. Like, they're either whiny crybabies or, like, babe-obsessed dudes. (laughs) It's obvious what Jones was doing with the character. It was very tongue in cheek, but it is just so poorly executed and stupid. Like he went into this with the mindset, you think Batman is a jerk? Wait till you meet Guy Gardner, mega jerk with zero redeeming qualities. (laughs) Who wants to read that? This sucked so bad that it makes Guy Gardner warrior look great. (laughs) <laughs> i will not I will not allow you to blaspheme against Guy Gardner Warrior in this house what I'm saying is Guy Gardner Warrior while not necessarily considered a classic or even good it's good <laughs> it is it's not good good it's silly, but I do like it This is just garbage this is pure garbage <laughs> I cannot give this a bigger leave it. This is a disservice to the character of Guy Gardner.
1: Yes. Uh now I love Guy Gardner. That's been established on this show many times. I also love Guy Gardner. This version of Guy Gardner is my least favorite. It's terrible. It's it's difficult to even understand why people put up with him. Why the why is he in the Justice League? Later on a writer named Bo Smith would come on to the book and introduce the warrior concept, which I know a lot of people think is very silly.
0: It is stupid. But he did a lot. No. It's, it's no more stupid. stupid
1: than any other character
0: that can shapeshift. Look, I'm not saying I didn't like it, but you have to admit it's stupid. No, I don't admit it's stupid. I think it's cool. See, oh, he just makes his body into fucking weapons. Yeah, <laughs> sure. That's what Cyborg does. Yeah, well,
1: Cyborg is a robot and Guy Gardner is half alien. Anyway, uh what
0: what Bo Smith did was to be fair, he wasn't half alien until Guy Gardner warriors. Started, well, he so. didn't discover it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so Bo Smith injected a lot more depth into the character. He was still like tough guy, you know, action first, right. but he was a softer, much more likable character. You could understand why Ice would be in love with him. You could understand sure. why he would be a valued member of the Justice League. But, yeah,
0: this guy, Gardner, is deplorable. He's the kind of character that Superman would probably make an exception for and murder because he's too dangerous. No. You're, like, he's just too fucking no. dangerous. And, like, we cannot put up with that. And the way, even, like, the way they write Superman in this is so awful where he's just like, <gasps> you think you can just march around and do stuff like that? I've got news for you, mister. No, no. I won't put up. with It's like, and Superman... Calls Hal Jordan and he's like, You gotta do something about him. He's being a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) This just sucks. Yeah,
1: it does. It does suck. Uh, It's a leave it for me as well. Uh, But hold on, (sighs) hold on, guy. It gets better. It gets better. All right, one more from me as well. This time, jumping all the way forward to 1997. I'm talking about Kazar, number one from Marvel. As we talked about. Earlier on the show and last week, the big two did a pretty good job pulling themselves out of the tailspin of the early 90s. Matt mentioned it. What was going on at DC in 1992? Nothing great. No. (laughs) Oh, my God, no. But at DC, the mid to late 90s brought us books like Young Heroes in Love and masterpieces like Starman. Marvel delivered blockbusters like the Busiek-Perez Avengers, the Thunderbolts, and... Mark Wade's revival of Kazar, Lord of the Savage Land. Wade brings a ton of personality to a character that I always thought was kind of a one note Tarzan homage. Wade's Kazar is a man still connected to the modern day trappings of the outside world, which causes a lot of conflict with his wife, Shanna the She Devil. And it totally made sense to me because he says it in the book. He's like, I didn't get brought to the Savage Land until I was nine. I remember rock music.
0: I remember video games. Yeah, like he was, I mean, he was a kid, but he wasn't like a, it's not like he was two. Right.
1: He had memories before Uh, then. And it also gave us great moments like Cesar trying to clarify the rules of baseball to a group of natives.
0: Oh, so good.
1: (laughs) Nobody understands the infield fly rule. Sorry, nobody. The whole thing is beautifully drawn by Andy Kubert who was already a superstar even back then. Jesse Delperdang uh, was the inker that was working with him at the time, uh, and their run together is gorgeous. Uh, Joe Rosas' colors and letters by the legend Todd Klein. The whole thing is gorgeous. I loved this take on Kazar 23 years ago. I loved revisiting it today. Huge buy it.
0: Yeah, I... I've always been a fan of Kazar, but it was more of the idea of Kazar, not so much like, "Oh, that Kazar run or that Kazar appearance." Because it, was, yeah. yeah, he's a watered down Tarzan, more or less. The coolest thing about Kazar up until now was Zabu. Oh, most definitely the, the saber two tiger that he hangs out with. Yep. no question. This series that Mark Wade did was amazing, and it concreted Kazar as one of my favorite like C list Marvel characters, and like. The place that they take the character throughout this series is just incredible, absolutely oh, wonderful. Kazar was kicking Thanos's ass years before Squirrel Girl. Oh yeah, with bare fisted, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. that storyline is amazing. <laughs> it is incredible, and no, Kubert's art. This is some of the best Andy Kubert art out there, and I think if you look back, I, I don't, I didn't research it too much, but I think. All my favorite stuff that he's done is with Del Dang, who is just born to ink his pencils. I, my God,
1: I'm going to go this so far as to say, and I love Andy Kubert as an artist. I don't think his art has ever looked as good as as, as it does here. And this is not this is not too far removed. He was still doing work on X Men right before this. Yes, because he did the uh, some Onslaught stuff and Age of Apocalypse stuff.
0: And it's gorgeous. Don't get me but wrong. But this
1: this is just like whoa.
0: Yeah, it it really is beautiful, and it's worth picking up. It's a huge buy-in for me.
1: Those are our reviews for the week, and I got to tell you, we are having a blast reviewing these old comics, no matter how good or awful they are.
0: It's so fun. I love it. I was sitting here in my office last night laughing out loud while I read people.
1: (laughs) Oh, we want to know if you guys read these. We want to know what you think of these uh, throwback reviews. And, hey, if you've got some recommendations for themes,
0: yeah, hit us up. Let's do it. We might just change course and say, screw you, new comics. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) uh, of course, you can do that any number
1: of places, the THN forums, Facebook, Twitter, the fan page, or you can contact us at TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. Yeah, call us and talk to
0: us about it. We'd love to hear you. 402-819-4894. Joey, it is time to reveal the theme of next week's reviews. So we better head to the THN Sanctum Sanctum. There we will shake the magic eight ball of murder. And it looks like next week we will be reviewing famous first appearances. They could be a... First issue or an appearance in the middle of a series. I'm talking about like the first appearance of Hank McCoy, Beast, the first appearance of Sabretooth, stuff like that. First appearance of Speedball. Yeah, man. So stay tuned to our Facebook and our Twitter to see which issues we will be reading so you can play along. Now, Joey, it's time to peer into the cursed mirror of Cathon, and see what the random trade of the week is for next week.
1: Completely coincidentally, the trade of the week is *Kazar* by Mark
0: Waid and Andy Kubert volume one. I had to do it. Our only rule is that it has to be in stock. At Diamond, so your local comic book shop can carry it if you need it. Yes. And man, you guys have to read this. It's so good. This is, of course, by
1: Marvel Comics. hundred pages for 19.99. Here's your solicit. <laughs> Kazar, Lord of the Hidden Jungle, is many things: a British nobleman. British? I have never once read him as British. But I yeah, guess that's I true. Either. He's a man lost in time, a husband, a father, best friend of a saber-toothed tiger. And younger brother to an incredibly evil man. When the father of Parnival and (laughs) Kevin... You had no choice but to become evil if you got it with a name like Parnival.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You named your brother Parnival and the other kid's name is... Kevin. Like, really? (laughs) When the father of (laughs) Parnival and
1: Kevin Plunder died, he left his sons the very keys to the mysteries of the Savage Land. And Parnival has decided to take the secrets for himself. See Kazar fight for honor and family in the verdant green jungles of the Savage Land and the harsh concrete jungle of New York. This collects Kazar 1997, 1 through 7, and Minus 1. Remember those? It oh, also yeah. collects the Kazar story from Tales of the Marvel Universe number 1. Get to your local comic shop. Rather, contact your local comic shop. And ask them to order this book for you. contact your local comic shop and see if you can pick it up. (laughs) Pound on the door. (laughs) Breathe on the glass.
0: Yes. But the point is, your local comic shop needs your help. This is in print. And if you can and you want to read something super fun, go pick this one up.
1: There's been some backlash about celebrities showing off their decadent quarantine and here at THN we love throwing gas on a fire. So let's check in with our most famous listener, live from Mushroom Manor, it's Stately Lord
3: Fungus! Live from Mushroom Manor, I am Stately Lady Fungus, back with another one of those block rocking tales from the manor. You may be wondering where Stately has got to. I'm not, doesn't matter. Anyway, He's locked in a tenth-winner-take-all 24-hour marathon game of Twister with the local nuns again. So you've got me to discuss the lockdown and specifically how it affects us nerds. Now, call me a bellend, but I for one am incredibly sad that Diamond pulled the plug so soon and left hundreds of comic stores fighting for their lives in an already difficult market. It's a strange and unprecedented time for us all, but by Jove if we won't try and inject a bit of fun into the long days. Here at the manor, we've been practising social distancing by simply tossing off anybody that comes to the door. Toss them off. Toss them off, I say. Give them a good old tossing right over the wall and into the moat. <laughs> the weather's been glorious across the village, and even though we can't leave our palatial eight-bedroom manor house with ensuite suite and cinema room, we still think of those less fortunate than us while sipping a 68 Merlot and downing a quail or two. Mm-mm-mm. It's such a wonderful time to be a nerd, catching up on books and comics and between one and three million Netflix shows. Speaking of shows, we recently binged watched the amazing Deadly Class on Starz Play. What an experience that was. Truly the best show I've seen in 2020. And it had some stiff competition in Doom Patrol, Pennyworth and Servant. Fantastic. Another great show that the UK has just been introduced to is The Mandalorian. Honestly, I can't remember a time when such high quality programming was available week in and week out. It's essentially a 10 hour Star Wars movie with all the drama and laughs you'd expect from Lucasfilm. And Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn arrived on demand. And you know what? We really enjoyed our time with the crazy ladies. And Ewan McGregor was fantastic as Black Mask, even if the soundtrack was absolute garbage. Which segues nicely to our our next item. LSD and its effect on the elderly. There are numerous comic books that tackle life behind bars, from Spider-Man No Escape to Star Wars Rebel Jail. It seems that Frank Castle has spent more time in prison than out on the street blowing up hamsters. For somebody that's a professional, doesn't have to get banged up a lot. Of course, there are multiple prisons in comic books. There's The Raft, Blackgate, Belle Reve and The Beach Planet but nothing compares to the ultimate house of madness that is Arkham Asylum. We've seen countless iterations of the famous Gothic gate and its imposing architecture, but it wasn't until 1989 that we saw the true madness behind the walls. When Grant Morrison and Dave McKean released Arkham Asylum, a serious house on a serious earth, they redefined what it looked like inside the second home of the DC Rogues Gallery. The artwork was a confusing, disorientating mess of colour and sharp edges, while the script itself was just kept minimal enough to let your imagination run wild with the horrors. It's not all dark nights and dark cells, though. Sometimes characters like Scott Lang can have a bit of fun while on house arrest by building amazing assault courses and slides in their own home. Hm. Now, before we go and indulge in our daily bouts of beer drinking and hell raising by the pond, I've invited our very own QE to old Liz herself, along to pump your ears full of juicy words in this week's Queen's English. Take it away, Miss Elizabeth. Mm-mm. Hello, loyal subjects. It's my great and distinct honor to be asked once again by my portly neighbors to help educate you during these great times of national turmoil. I myself was once a young girl obsessed with Trans-Metropolitan and World of Warcraft, running through the halls of Buck's Palace pretending to fight Anakin Skywalker and a river of lava. The staff could never keep up. I always had the high ground. Right. The phrase of the week is juggled by a peeler and thrown in the Irish clubhouse. It means, in simple terms, to have oneself removed from the street and placed at her majesty's pleasure. So, in context, crikey, strike a light, he's only gone and got himself juggled by a peeler and thrown in the Irish clubhouse. You gonna try it? So, there we go, wiser and older. Life found a way, and so did we, down to the pond and ready to get shit-faced with the squirrels. So until next time, folks, stay at home, wash your fucking hands, and I'll see you next time you drop by the manor. Bye for now.
2: Excelsior!
0: That is it for THN 568, and hopefully the last time we give a sex criminal this much airtime, Joe Patrick. (laughs) Unless he's written by Matt Fraction. Honestly, I just picked these off the top of my head, and I did not realize that Gerard Jones wrote two of them. It was. Like, I can attest to it. It was no. definitely not, for or, like, ordained. And to be fair, Roger Stern had his name on, like, two different books, So too. true, like, yes. These guys just wrote everything back It's then. true. Joe Patrick asked these nerds a new question of the week. All right. This week's question, we're
1: sticking with this uh, question submitted by Phil Lee via the THN Forums. I just read X-Men Grand Design, the best index slash summary of any comic franchise yet. What title would you pick for the Grand Design treatment, and what independent creators would you choose? For example, Alpha Flight by Jeff Lemire, Suicide Squad by Michelle Fifa? It doesn't have to be a Marvel title. Just give me those designs. You can find the question of the week on Facebook, Twitter, the forums, wherever you find two-headed nerd content all over the damn place. Give us a call with your answers at 402-819-4894. Shoot an MP3 to 2 nerd at gmail.com. Or hey, just comment.
0: Comment on the post, man. We want to know your thoughts. We can stick it right there. We would love to hear you. If you're new to the show and you'd rather your balls popped out in public, than listen to another second, I assure you. It's only because you're either a pervert or you haven't heard enough. The good news is, you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Matt Truesdell, who I happen to know is wretchedly poor and has no business donating to any part. But he's got a wicked comic habit and... It's true. It's his own fault. He does it to himself.
1: He just, he can't fight it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to take his money because he's just going to waste it. Yeah, I mean, it's for his own good. Yeah, the poor son of a bitch. (laughs) Before
1: we go, our weekly shout-out goes to friend of the show, Andy Parks, whose graphic novel, Ciudad, is about to be adapted by none other than the Russo Brothers and Chris Hemsworth. Uh, Apparently, the Russo Brothers also helped him develop the graphic novel, which I did not know.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, this comes out. This comes out, like, yes. this month on the Netflix. New, I saw. I was just read about the, this. I didn't realize that's what yeah. it was.
1: The new film is called Extraction. It drops on Netflix on April 24th. I did not know it was a thing until they posted the trailer yesterday.
0: That is awesome. Good for you, Andy yeah, Parks, getting paid. Where are you, buddy.
1: Good for I you. I hope you remember us once you start raking in that fat Netflix cash.
0: Until next time, true believers. I would say remember to pre-order your comics. But there are none shipping right now. So remember to support your local comic shop any way you can. Or your retailer might not be there to kick around once this corona bullshit is over. This is The Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. You did it.